This is The Camp with Zach Heilprin and the Athletics' Jesse Temple. Yes, welcome into The Camp. I'm Zach Heilprin. That's the Athletics' Jesse Temple. Well, we finally have some positive news to talk about, Jesse. Everyone was waiting for that. I know a lot of people were like, oh, another negative podcast. But some positives to talk about here is the Badgers break their three-game losing streak. They take care of Nebraska, 24-17 to in overtime. Uh, it was obviously not a very good start again, but how much needed was that, not just for, obviously, fans, but for that team? You can't overstate how important a win like that was, and no matter what, how you view this season as a disappointment and not meeting the expectations that people had before the year, this was a team coming off its most trying week of the season where it laid an absolute egg against Northwestern and you had to wonder whether the team had quit and you had Hunter Wooler openly questioning whether everybody was bought in and then players answering more questions about it on Tuesday. And then this team gets down 14 to nothing and Luke Fickle talked after the game about what's the number one thing they talk about? Come out, start fast. And he said, we did the exact opposite. And yet again, they found a way. Yes, they found a way to roll up their sleeves and go to work and figure out a way to get this done. So it's not a particularly great Nebraska team. Wisconsin's won 10 straight in that series, but they're bowl eligible. And more than that, they showed the, they showed the fight that they needed to show at this stage of the season. Yeah, they showed the fight. Again, the, the start was very much like a lot of starts that they've had this year, and it felt a lot like the Northwestern game. And so I made the comment that, and you thought last week was bad, essentially quote tweeting what I had said the previous week. And the difference here, obviously, Jesse, for them was the fact that on the third drive, Nebraska looks like they're driving right down for another score, very similar to what Northwestern did last week. And on fourth and two or fourth and one, they get the stop, a stop they did not get against Northwestern last week. And it turned completely changed the game around for me. That was the play of the game. And it Wisconsin went right back down the field and, and got a touchdown to cut the lead in half. And, it felt like their game, maybe not the rest of the way. I thought, you know, it kind of got bogged down there in the fourth quarter. But from that point on in the, the first half, it certainly felt like Wisconsin had uh, answered the bell and then were able to kind of uh, own the rest of the half and the and the third and the start of the third quarter, middle of the third quarter. It was huge, that fourth down stop, because Nebraska, I mean, Chuba Purdy looked like the second coming of whatever Heisman Trophy candidate there was. He opens the game completing his first five passes and throws a touchdown pass. He comes into that game, and he didn't play very much, obviously, previously. He'd completed exactly one of five passes this season with one interception, and Nebraska was doing whatever it wanted. And so for the defense to bow up and get a stop like that, and then on top of that, the offense to stack a drive that ends with a touchdown was huge so it's not the only reason that wisconsin won but the defense which has been up and down we talked about it in the northwestern game they give up 294 yards of total offense in the first half even though northwestern only averaged 292 a game then the defense allows 30 yards in the second half so there's no real explanation and i don't think the players know either that's what they talked about afterward as to why it is so uneven but when they get rolling defensively, they're able to accomplish some things. They held Nebraska without a point until the last drive of, the, of regulation where Nebraska kicked the field goal to send it to overtime. And then obviously a massive stop in, in overtime as well to help win the game. Yeah. What what happened there 
at the you know the beginning of the second quarter changed the entire game and Wisconsin's offense f- found their legs and then obviously came out in the second half on their second drive and go down and take a lead and then it's it's, it's kind of like uh <laughs> they were able to move the ball but unable to finish drives and north and then Nebraska kind of I think kind of did them a favor there at the end of the regulation I don't know about you essentially playing for the tie and I I know that if you go and look back what happened last week with uh, Purdy late in that game, throwing an interception against Maryland, that maybe Matt Rule was a little bit skittish on putting the ball up too much, but they had three time. I mean, they had all their timeouts there, and, and they kind of just played for overtime, and I think that kind of did Wisconsin put a favor there. I was up there in the press box looking around because sometimes you see something and you're like, am I seeing – is everyone else seeing what I'm seeing? I, was, I said – I. What are they doing? They've got all three timeouts and they're just burning this drive down to set up a field goal. And you put yourself in a position where you hardly had any shots at the end zone. So I I don't understand it fully. Obviously, they were able to get the points necessary to go to overtime. Then they won the coin toss and opted to go on defense. But you didn't really give yourself a chance at the end of the regulation to try and get that win. And uh I mean, you you have to put that on the staff. I don't care what happened in the past. You 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 should be able to give yourself ample opportunity to take some shots at the end zone. Yeah. So so you get to overtime, right? And Wisconsin, for the most part, there in the second half, and for most part this year, have not been good in short yardage, especially on fourth down in short yardage. And after you know you you get the you get the first third down completion to Vinny Anthony for a first down and then you're facing third and 10 and Tanner Mordecai goes for nine and you're setting yourself up with fourth and one. And you're like, you've already failed twice. You are one of the worst fourth down teams in the country and you go for it. And I love that they went for it. I would not have been a fan of the the field goal there, but if they don't get it, a field goal beats them. But I'm a big fan of them going for it in that situation and just leaning into kind of what they had been all day, and that was essentially two yards here, three yards there on the ground, and that's exactly what Braylon Allen got on that fourth down play. And we'll talk about Braylon in a second, but I thought it was it was a hell of a run. It was a hell – I mean, getting one yard when you're Wisconsin should not be this big of a deal, but it has been this year, and I thought that was just a tough-as-nails run, especially considering what he had been through. They get the first down, right, and on the next play, he rides the – uh offensive line into the end zone for the touchdown two back-to-back plays that kind of I thought exerted Wisconsin's physicality on Nebraska which was not necessarily the case for much of the night when you look at just the raw stats but they just kept at it they didn't get away from the run game they just kept on piling uh powering it through and powering it through and powering it through and it was two yards here and three yards there but the end of the game certainly uh felt like Wisconsin football that we have come to know for a long time Here's what Riley Malman said about it after the game, the, the right tackle. He said, we we really loved the call. We loved the courage from the OC head coach. And we just knew that this was the one. And I mean, I think that says it all. As a player, you want the ball to be put in your hands or just to have an opportunity to execute. I think it did show a lot of, I mean, faith may not be the right word. Um, maybe <laughs> it was just a prayer, hoping a prayer, but it was fourth and one. And if you're Wisconsin, you should be able to figure out how to get that, even though, as you said, there were two instances before where they they didn't get it. I, I thought that was interesting, too, earlier in the game. They're clearly in a situation where they, they don't have faith or confidence right now in Nathaniel Vakos because 
of the undisclosed injury that he sustained a couple weeks ago, that if it's a 50 or a 51 yard field goal, they're just going to bypass and go for it. If it's a manageable distance on fourth down, they didn't get either. Um, but Braylon came up huge to get the two yards. Obviously the offensive line got the push necessary and a big time call. Cause as you said, if they don't get it, all Nebraska needs is a field goal to win that game. But I, I also look at it like, you know, what does that say about where you're at? as a program, if you're not even willing to try that offensively. So if it doesn't go right and they lose this game, there's more hate being spewed uh, toward, toward this program and the staff. And I mean, if you lose that game, I could certainly understand that, but they didn't and they came through when they needed to. They came through when they needed to. And we, in a large part, obviously Braylon Allen was there defensive before we get to him defensively on the next possession. Mm-hmm. Again, you know, you get the, the play from in the backfield from Daryl Peterson. You get a couple of uh, you get the penalty, obviously, and you get the couple pass breakups. And then the, finally, the interception by Preston Zachman to, to close things out. That was a, a hell of a way to to finish a game off, I think. I mean, you get all these positive plays. Again, the, maybe the pass deflection on third down kind of is what it is because you get Daryl Peterson in the backfield, right? Uh, on the on the run to the outside, you get uh, Nizier Forkering breaking up the pass on as he's on the blitz to uh, off the corner blitz. And he gets the break up there. And then obviously finding a way to tip the ball up and and Preston Zachman finish it. The defense made plays. Those are all plays being made by the defense. And noteworthy here is the fact that they didn't have Hunter Wohler in the second half or overtime. He suffered an upper body injury. They termed it, but you could speculate that it's a head injury because they took his helmet away afterward. The team's leading tackler, a tremendous player, and they were able to, win anyway i mean the defense yeah it wasn't a great start we've said that on multiple occasions but for them to get it together is it says a lot about i mean it says a lot about i think the players after what they've been through here the last few weeks and i'm not crowning wisconsin as some exceptional team or like this win means that the future is is going to be uh championships and all that but let's be real they were facing the, the prospect of losing a fourth consecutive home game for the in a season for the first time since Barry Alvarez's first year here in 1990, and they figured it out, so they deserve credit. A lot of people have questioned Braylon Allen over the years, um, mm-hmm. you know, maybe not fully, fully playing through injuries. I think what you saw last night was who Braylon Allen is. He was nowhere clear to 100%. He obviously was dealing with not just the ankle injury, but as he told you guys afterwards. He had a migraine, woke up with a migraine, wasn't even sure if he was going to play last night. Luke Fickle said as much after the game, and he carries 22 times, including 18, I believe it was 18 times, no, 19 times in the second half. Is that right? Yep, second uh, half in overtime. Yeah, second half in overtime, 19 times. He only averaged 2.8 yards per carry, and yet I thought all things being equal, one of his more impressive performances because of what he was being uh, asked to do, especially with, you know, not having Chaz Malusi, losing Jackson Aker in the, in the fourth quarter. He was essentially the only guy they could turn to in the backfield. I wrote about Braylon in my story off the game, and you can look at his three career and say they were far more impressive individual performances from a statistical output. Two years ago, as a freshman against Nebraska, he had 228 yards rushing and three touchdowns. He's been the MVP in each of the two bowl games, offensive MVP last year. We saw what he did against Illinois earlier this season where he tied his career high with 29 carries. And I think I said on our show, he ran his butt off that day. But 
this was a different version of Braylon because he'd been banged up. Nobody thought he was going to play. And he comes out and does what needs to be done. I mean, when you look at, I think this deserves a special place in the context of his career. Yeah, he only averages 2.8 yards per carry. It's the the lowest mark for him this season in a game where he played more than one series. And the caveat on that one is last week against Northwestern, he only carried three times for three yards. But he gave him everything that he had. And I thought there was one sequence that was was noteworthy. He had a 17-yard run, and you could tell he was feeling it. Jack Snaker, <laughs> Devin Spaulding's throwing him onto the field to replace Braylon, and you can see him waving his arms fiercely like get off the field i got this he wanted the ball and he got the next carry and so he he didn't know if he was going to play you talked about the the migraine that he woke up with he said he had a conversation with spalding on thursday because you're trying to put a game plan and figure out what you got and spalding based on what he'd seen from braylon and braylon said he he didn't think he took a practice rep all week so devin said he was probably not going to play play Braylon. Now he was going to leave the door open and they were going to see how he felt, but it certainly says a lot about Braylon to tough it out, to get some hard fought yards. He scores a couple of touchdowns and and the game winner where his offensive line pushes him into the end zone. So I I think it's a good bet that this was going to be his last game at Camp Randall stadium. It certainly felt that way. And asking him a couple of questions afterward, even though he said he wasn't ready to make that declaration, we know how open he's been about this. And Luke talked about this too before the season. If, if things went according to plan, that this would be his last season so he could pursue the NFL draft. It hasn't always gone great for him this year, but he's still projected to be maybe as high as a third round pick and just kind of feels like, and he said it, if that's it, I don't think there's a better way to go out than that. So good kudos to Braylon for, for toughing it out and, and helping this team win. He showed some care factor. Showed some yes. care factor there. Uh, it, that has yes. been missing. That has been missing from the team, not not necessarily him, but from the team in stretches this season. So, uh, yes, kudos to him. The other guy, obviously, offensively for me that stood out was Tanner Mordecai. The numbers, yeah. like Allen, not going to jump out at you. 160 yards, a touchdown, had 51 yards on the ground, but he made some big time plays when you absolutely needed them. Eight of his 18 completions went for first downs. Five of those came on third down, including that one to Vinny Anthony on third and eight in overtime. Um, also had three yard or three first downs running. I mentioned the one that kind of stood out to me already, the the nine-yard run on third down in overtime, which allowed them to even have the chance to go for it on fourth down. He uh again, the numbers and the numbers this year won't jump out of you. We saw those, we saw those gaudy numbers at SMU, and you're kind of like, well, can he do that here? That has not been anywhere close to the case, but last night was kind of, I think, some of the value that Tanner Mordecai has brought to this program this year. And Luke talked about it after the game that the leadership that he he's demonstrated, especially in a game like that where they get down fourteen to nothing, um, you don't know if you're going to win that game if you don't have someone like Tanner to be there on the sideline to provide that calming presence. And he just stuck with it. And I think what you're talking about on that overtime drive is a is a perfect characterization of what he can provide at his best. He is he is calm. You get in that spot where it's third down and he throws it past the sticks to get the first down to Vinny Anthony. And his mobility is something that has stood out since he got here and we got to see him in the spring. So he was consistently able to, to break some things down. And that was even more important because Nebraska came into this game ranking third in the country in run defense. They were averaging, averaging about like 79 and a half yards allowed. And so 
for him and Braylon to, to do what they do collectively made all the difference in the world. It definitely did. The other guy that stood out for me on offense and he has all year, he's kind of been the consistent aspect of this offense. And that's Will Pauling, him putting up uh, eight catches. He had for uh, 79 yards, 11 targets. It, the the concern obviously is the injury that popped up late in that game. He goes out with what appeared to be uh, a leg injury, lower leg injury, ankle. He came in for one play, the third down play that he came back in, I should say, for the one play, the one that went to Vinny Anthony. He ran his route and then he was limping a little bit after and, and took himself out of the game. And that's the last time we saw him. Tanner Mordecai had his arm around him on the on the sideline and was like, you know, I don't I don't want to say the word consoling maybe that's a little bit too much but um that's that's one injury to watch this week i would think and on top of that we found out before the game that they weren't going to have bryson green available right and when we saw him on the field in street clothes he had a boot over his foot so i mean those are your two biggest playmakers from what we've seen to date and so it's clearly something that we're going to be monitoring when they get into the regular season finale against minnesota I, i would say i was impressed with what we saw from Ash. not only Vinny Anthony, but Quincy Burroughs too. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> he hadn't, he hadn't don't done you, anything. Don't, don't you, don't you mean Will Pauling? What do you mean? They kept on calling him Will Pauling. They called him Will oh, Pauling. Oh. They, they called him yeah, Will yeah, Pauling yeah. in the stadium. They called him. You confused Will, me. <laughs> they called him Will Pauling. They called him Will Pauling on the telecast too. Yeah, they got confused because they probably never seen Quincy out there and and Pauling wears six and Burroughs wears five. I was thinking that too as it happened. Like, man, Quincy's worked for such a long time to get that opportunity. He makes his first catch, and what do you hear over the public address system? And it's a catch by Will Pauling. But yeah. <laughs> either way, um, I think he showed a little bit. I know it was only two catches for 15 yards, but he, he came in and, and did what they asked him to do. But certainly it's a concern moving forward about the health status of Pauling on the heels of not having Bryson Green. Yeah, so uh, injury concern there with those two, and then obviously Chimray DK on a bit of a pitch count, which allowed Quincy Burroughs an opportunity to get some more, some more, uh, some more action. But offensively, again, they, they far from perfect. Twenty-four points in an overtime game isn't necessarily great, but against Nebraska, which which their defense, I think, is uh, pretty pretty improved over what it had been previously, was enough to get the job done. Wisconsin's defense, meanwhile, a number of guys stood out. C.J. Getz had a couple of tackles for loss, including being in on that fourth and, uh, well, I guess it was a fourth and one stop on that third drive. He played. He he got credited for the tackle. I think Ricardo Hallman also played a big role there. Uh, Nizier Forkering felt like he got his hands on some passes and also uh, had uh, a tackle for a loss. You know, Preston Zachman too, right? Not having Hunter Wolder there for much of the game or the second half of the game forced even more from Preston Zachman, and, and he kind of st- stood up as well. So uh, it felt like there were performances that uh, outside of two plays, which happened to be a 54-yard touchdown and a 58-yard touchdown, which, again, we can't just completely overlook. The defense kind of played – the defense played well again. Yeah, I think that's accurate. They Like, like I said, they only gave up three points after the first two – First two drives, and so they were able to keep Wisconsin in this game, and it took a lot of different players, and they didn't quit. And honestly, when they were down 14 nothing, that was my first thought. I honestly thought, God, this – and I imagine people listening probably thought the same thing. Like, Man, this team has quit after everything <laughs> they've been through, after what happened last week, for them to come out this flat again 
there's no way they're going to figure out a way to come back. But Nebraska is a perfectly mediocre team that has lost uh, its fair share of one possession games, shall we say, over recent years. And Wisconsin took advantage. They did. Um, I, I will say that the rush defense, take away the sacks, 205 yards a lot. I believe that's the fifth time in eight games in Big Ten play that they've done that. Not that's, ideal, but the 55-yarder is going to put a significant dent in that. Right. I'm not saying it's not, but that's also the second quarterback they've allowed to run for 100 yards this year. A guy who yeah. m- maybe isn't the greatest passer, and they still yeah. allowed it. Yeah, so at least have to mention it. Uh, that's 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 the job here. That's just trying to mention it. So Wisconsin gets to bowl eligibility. They're 6-5. and five. They've got one more game here in the regular season. The Axe game, obviously going to talk all about that coming up here later this week. Again, had they lost these two games, had they if they win these two games, had they lost these two games, the season's still, in my mind, and people aren't going to want to hear this at this point, still a failure. But to hold on to one trophy and have an opportunity to go get another one, it'll be just less of one, in my opinion. Well, you feel a heck of a lot better if Wisconsin can take that Nebraska win and turn it into a win against Minnesota when this program the last two years has lost the axe for the first time in back-to-back years since 93-94. So they're going to have to go out and do it on the road. But if they go 7-5, and five, at least they're showing the character and the fight that people have been looking for during this stretch where they had lost four or five games. Well, and they have a, an amazing opportunity here to uh, really stick it to Minnesota too because Minnesota's not bowl eligible yet. They are 5-6. and six. And to potentially, and I, you know, five and seven is certainly a possibility to go to a bowl, but it's not a guarantee. And if they could somehow go up there, find a way to win that game and keep PJ and company out of a bowl game, significant. And that's kind of where I wanted to start uh, our Twitter questions here, Jesse. Uh, Cody says, could this game against Nebraska be the turning point turning point for a season? If they can go win the Axe back in Minnesota, prevent them from making a bowl, it will go a long way for next year. Hmm. Well, the question is turning point for this season. Um, well, I mean, I, I, is this a turning? Could this game be the turning point? I think it's the turning. I think I think he's talking about long term mm, of the fickle era, perhaps. Yes, it's possible. I don't want to put too much on that. Um, I mean, even I don't know how much I believe in momentum at the end of a regular season because you know what happens as soon as the season's over. A bunch of dudes hit the portal. You bring in a bunch of new people from the portal, and it's a completely different team by the time winter workouts are, happen. And we've seen them win a whole lot of bowl games in recent years that were not necessarily big-time New Year's Six type of bowl games. It hasn't always carried over to the next season. But what you're looking for right now is just a team that's playing in the image that Luke Fickle wants to mold and with with more consistency or any consistency. So I won't rule it out that it's a possibility. I just would need to see a whole heck of a lot more. Just, just because you beat Minnesota um, doesn't mean that what happens like it's going to be reflected in what happens next season. But I mean, fans have been desperate to see some, some improvement of some sort after three disappointing seasons. So maybe this is it. Dennis says, he says, I don't see any way that Braylon Allen goes to the NFL next year. He, he first has to prove he can play without getting injured. Uh-huh. Thus one more year thoughts. Uh, I think he's gone. Um, <laughs> I mean, here's the other thing is, the NFL is about potential. And I'll go back to the conversation I had with Dane Brugler, who's our NFL draft analyst at The Athletic. He and he said before the season, he had Braylon as a second round pick. And based on what he'd seen, and this was a couple weeks ago, he felt like he could be a third round pick. 
What he likes is his size, his vision, his acceleration, and the fact that right now he's still only 19 years old. So um, there, yes, the injury history, it can't be ignored. I have to imagine it's going to give some teams pause because in each of his three seasons here, he's he's battled some injuries, but he's also put up some pretty good numbers. And just based on some of the questions that we were asking him after the, after the game, kind of felt like that was it for him in terms of his last college game. And I said, um, did you approach this game in that fashion? He said, it's in the back of my mind. I definitely did approach it like that, but you never know. So not necessarily ready to voice that yet. And like I said, at the end, he said, if, if, if that's it, I don't think there's a better way to go out than that. So um, nothing is official, but I... <laughs> I wouldn't bet my house on it because, you know, in the 0.01% chance I'd lose my house. I, I wouldn't want to be homeless, but I'm pretty sure he's this is it for him. Good thinking there. Good thinking. <laughs> um, Brad says, and I and I noticed this while watching the broadcast, uh, Todd Blackledge said during the broadcast that UW was sitting back early in the game to determine how they were going to be attacked before responding in part, he says, I may agree. Should Wisconsin start being more aggressive on defense? I thought it was I, I thought it was a ridiculous thing to say. Uh he, he essentially said, and this coming from Mike uh Mike Trussell was this defense is really smart and they adjust to how defenses or how offenses are uh attacking them, and that's why they get better as the game goes on. Um and maybe that's the case, but to sit back and see how they're attacking you. I, that that doesn't make a ton of sense to me. You, I would concur. Al- allowing allowing a team to dictate what you do is just is horrible. Uh, and obviously, like they're going to dictate how you uh, like what formations sometimes you're going to line up in, right? Personnel wise, but no, you have a pl- you have a plan and how you're going to attack them. And I can't imagine sitting back and just seeing how they're going to attack you is is what's going through their minds. Couldn't have said it better. You have to have a plan of attack when you go into a game. And I'm not saying that they don't. The idea that you're just going to wait and then adjust later after you get down by a couple touchdowns. Who, how, how is that going to, in in most instances, lead to a successful game? It happened to work out this week against Nebraska. But um, I don't know. It's, it's really hard to explain why this defense has been so up and down. Um, but if that's an explanation that you want to give, then so be it. Yeah. Um... Bill says, uh, let's play a little overreaction or no. Christian Allegro is going to be a huge playmaker next year and beyond. Not an overreaction. Um, So no? So no. Yeah. I mean, so impressed for him to come out and do some of the things that he's been able to do. Now, he only had one tackle, but they like him in those third down situations. He can rush the passer. We've seen him make a couple big plays here already. You don't get a lot of true freshmen that they trust to go on the field and on offense or defense. Sometimes you certainly see it on special teams. But yeah, I think he's going to be, I I mentioned this before, you go back and when we evaluate the recruiting class in 2023, he'll probably end up as one of the steals of the whole recruiting class because when he was evaluated in high school, people just kind of overlooked him because he was a lacrosse guy, played on the East Coast, and and now look what he's doing in year one here. You saw him... Uh, there were there was a third down play where he came on a delayed blitz and Chuba, uh Purdy took off and we, we saw later in the game him run away from Jordan Turner. He was not running away from Christian Allegro, uh, which and he and he got him he got he he forced him out of bounds 
short of the sticks and forced to punt. He's got off the charts athletic ability, doesn't he? I mean, it feels like it feels like it. And he obviously, as you mentioned, had that penalty. But for the most part, I'm extremely, extremely intrigued by what his future could be just simply based on some of the small little snippets of play that we've seen from him. Um, And I I would add, sorry, go ahead. Well, I would add like purely based on measurables. And this goes back to the story I wrote on him when he was coming in, you would have thought, my God, how, how does this guy not have some of these other bigger school offers? He, he was 6'4", 227 in high school. Obviously, his, his body type, he's gotten bigger. But he ran a 4.57 second 40-yard dash. He could bench press 225 pounds 24 times and just had all the measurables. So, I mean, this is this is going to be one of the, I think, more significant pickups in that class. Yeah. Um NF Ted says, what can the Badgers do to execute better on fourth down? The last conversion was great and gutsy, but 125th in FBS is pretty bad. Is it play calling calling or something else? It's one of those where it's everything. I mean, yeah, play, right? I was going to say execution. I mean, I think it's execution more so than play calling. I mean, it's for maybe not all the fourth downs because not all fourth downs are equal, but fourth and one execution is usually probably where it's at. I mean, I, I think mm-hmm. back to the game against Iowa and Cooper Jean coming off the edge, like yep. not even recognizing that he's there. That's to me, that's not a coaching thing. That's a execution thing from the offense. But I guess certainly you can, you can blame play calling when things don't go well, you can always blame play calling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What do we else we got here? Eric says, how much juice does this game give UW regarding all the recruits that were in attendance at last night's game? One game is always overrated. I mean, to have a nice atmosphere, that stuff matters when people look back on it. But I I never get read too much into a single game and what it will mean for the recruitment of a player. If you're picking it based on like what you saw in one result, probably not someone you're going to get. I mean... They got Michael Resky last week who committed before the Northwestern game. And um, I guess it would have been better for my argument here if he had committed after. <laughs> but I don't think it's it's going to make or break a uh, recruitment. But it was a really good atmosphere last night. I mean, obviously, it takes a while for everybody to trickle in. Um, but a night game where it's close and, and Wisconsin's making a comeback, that doesn't hurt. Yeah, they were. it felt like the crowd was just looking for something to cheer about there for... <laughs> yep a while and when they got the fourth down stop and then they went back down and, and got the touchdown it, it felt like things kind of changed um michael says he he was watching the post game interview with fickle and he got the impression that the wisconsin football tradition merged with his vision for the program he thinks he asked will a battle to reclaim our acts supercharge fickle to make us future big 10 powers um <laughs> I'm having trouble understanding what that question is. He's one. Yeah. I mean, he's wondering if, if his, his, his vision, Luke Fickle's vision for the program and Wisconsin's historical, uh, I believe what they have been historically merged yesterday and yes. became what they kind of want to be. 
Yeah, um, he's talked on multiple occasions, uh, as we know, about trying to figure out a way to finish. And after the Illinois game, he said he felt like that was really the first time that they had demonstrated it in a game. Of course, went out and lost <laughs> the next three games. But um, that kind of stuff matters. And I, I mean, he was even asked after the game whether he felt relieved. Um, and he said there there is some relief. But he said it's he's, he's just happy because of how they played and fought and scratched and clawed to, to figure out a way to win. That stuff really matters. Again, I don't, I think in the totality of a season, I don't want to make too much of one game because we could have said something after the Illinois game and then they didn't play very well. Uh, but this could be the start of something for them. No doubt about it. Well, that leads into this question from our guy, Vitaly Pasetsky says he believes the Penn state game two years ago at home broke the program in terms of psyche, mental toughness, <laughs> the don't flinch foundation. He says, does this win with retro Camp Randall crowd involved until the end, a huge defensive stand in OT, a game-winning touchdown reminiscent of classic Wisconsin football, mark the rebirth? <laughs> you hope so, right? I mean, that's yeah. that's the hope if you're Wisconsin. Yeah. <laughs> this is so hard. There's a lot of questions about <laughs> what one game means in the big picture without knowing what that big picture is. I know that's why we do this show. We're here to answer questions. I, I don't know. I mean, yes, you... You hope that's what it is. You hope that it leads to them playing well against Minnesota. And if they go out and they they lose against the Gophers, then you feel like you're kind of back at square one. You've got a six and six team just like you did last season. And you're just trying to figure out a way to win a game in the bowl and and feel good about yourself going into offseason workouts. It's a step in the right direction. And I think that's as uh, that's the most you can say right now, because we haven't seen it consistently enough for me to feel like, OK, this is what this team is right now, if that makes sense. Uh, Alex says, is this the proof that we should have been running the ball more, much more the past five weeks? <laughs> well, I mean, I've gone on record and said, like, I, it's kind of inexplicable. They ended up passing the ball 50 times against Iowa. And as I've said, eight of those passes came went on the last drive when Wisconsin was down by two possessions. To me, that was never going to be the recipe to beat a, a team like Iowa, which, as we've seen and saw again against Illinois. They just win games no matter how ugly they are. Um, <laughs> so you need a balance, but um, I don't know. I I think that's been one thing that's been interesting to watch unfold this season is I know they've said repeatedly, they don't really necessarily look at it like ratio of run versus pass. They look at it in terms of yardage, but it's still been jarring to see how many times they've passed in a lot of these games when this is a program that has been built on the stout offensive line, the run game. Um, it's tough because when you didn't have Braylon, were you really going to lean on Jackson Aker and Kate Yacomelli to carry you to victory? It, it, that also didn't feel reasonable. So I think it's been a balance that Phil Longo and the staff have been trying to strike all season. And it obviously worked against Nebraska because you ended up passing 28 times and you ran the ball 40 times. Is that ideal? If it works, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I know T T Tanner's numbers weren't, they're not going to jump out to you. He only threw for 160 yards, but he was able to take care of the ball. And he also added 51 yards on the ground. So it's ideal if you've got, I don't know, if you've got a healthy Braylon Allen, which you didn't, it just, it happened to work out. Tim says, how excited are you and I to likely spend Christmas in Detroit this year? Well, I don't know if it's going to be Detroit. There's yeah. some other options on the table, Nashville, Tampa, you never know. I think I think it's it feels like Nashville may be likely. I don't know. It's, Again, it's in play. It's in play. 
it, I mean, Wisconsin hasn't been there for 20 years. So it feels like that might be a possibility. And Nashville, not a horrible place to be in December. You can't spell media without me or I. So I'm rooting for. <laughs> what, what, what are you? Warmer. What are you rooting for? What are you rooting for? Oh, out of all the options that seem yeah. feasible, Nashville. Never been yeah. there. Yeah. I mean, if any bowl game in the world other than the Rose Bowl, where would you want to go? Any bowl game. Other than, well, I should probably, I know which one you're going to go with. You're going to go with the what? Orange Bowl. But of course, the, the <laughs> historic Orange Bowl. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But like location. Um, Nashville would be pretty cool, man. I already told the story about the, the last time they were in Tampa over the Outback Bowl. I, yeah. I ended up. Didn't end up in the media hotel. That was way back in the days when I was at previous companies that perhaps had less financial means to put me up in the nicer places. And there were three strip clubs within, uh, what, 100 yards of where I was staying. I didn't go to any. Uh, <laughs> not that there's anything wrong with that. But uh, that was my Tampa experience. Is it a true bowl experience for Jesse Temple if he's not sitting or if he's not staying next to a strip club? Because didn't you stay next to a strip club in Vegas as well? Yeah, but to be fair, I mean, even the they're, media hotel was across the street from a strip club. So, like, yeah, you know, they're everywhere. What, you, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, except nothing happened in Vegas. <laughs> yeah, there are a, a few more questions that I think um, we'll, we'll save. So obviously with the holiday, Jesse, we've got uh, a, a different schedule this week. Might we'll, We're, we're going to do a second show, likely going to be uh, on Tuesday. So we'll talk about the Minnesota game. Look ahead to the trip up to Minneapolis as they get ready to take on P.J. Fleck. And the Gophers, an opportunity to keep Minnesota out of a bowl game, which, and get the axe back. Obviously, one's more important than the other, but they would both be funny. Anything else you got? No, I think we're good, man. Thank you very much, Jesse. Thanks, Zach. All right, there he is. Jesse Temple from The Athletic. You've been listening to The Camp.